It's great to be with you today. Uh, many years ago, uh, there was a survey done about um, the beginning of church services. And the results of the survey were that depending on the nature and quality of worship would determine whether or not people would listen to the preacher or come back to church. So I feel really safe today. <laughs> you have some very gifted people that um, know how to bring us into God's presence, and I'm grateful for them. Also, I want to give a bit of an update. I've already had some of you ask the question, and I need to clarify. Uh, last week I talked about, uh, with great enthusiasm, going to Winterpeg. And that never happened. Um, because as soon as we got home, or I got home that yeah, Sunday afternoon, we found out that the retreat had been canceled. And uh, the director had been sick, went to the hospital, and was in very bad shape, so they just had to cancel. Um, so that's the unfortunate part. The other part was we had to decide what we were going to do with this week that was booked months and months in advance. And it took us a long time, like five seconds, to decide we're going to go to Pennsylvania to see our son and daughter-in-law and our baby, grandson. So that's where we spent a week, and uh, uh, I spent a lot of time dusting drywall, or sanding drywall and all that kind of stuff, and painting, and uh, informed my dear son that I am retiring from drywall sanding now. We won't, we won't be doing that anymore. But it was a joy to be able to spend um, some really good time with family. So I want to read the text this morning that we're going to be looking at in a bit. And uh, then uh, we will begin. In Luke chapter 14, if you want to follow along on your phone or however, uh, we're going to be looking today at verses 1 to 6 of Luke 14. One Sabbath day... Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of the leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts of the religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. And he turned to them and said, Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? And again, they would not answer. I want to give you uh, an idea. We're looking at uh, the, the main theme this month is going against the flow. And if I asked you the question, you have a lot of ideas about what that could look like. I made a list of my own. Um, what, of what going against the flow looks like. And, and one of the prominent ones in my mind is, is walking up a down elevator or vice versa. I'll bet you many of you have seen that happen. And right in the midst of other people who are trying to get away from you or around you, there you go up or down the wrong way. Or driving on the wrong side of the road, which is kind of crazy. I've seen that happen. Or walking against the crowd on a sidewalk. I've done this before, not me. Um, people walking toward you with their cell phone, totally engaged, um, and aimed, aimed right at you. I try not to get out of their way. <laughs> I try not to get out of their way. 
Um, and it's amazing how you can, they can hit your shoulder and jog, jog you around in a corner and just keep on going. Going against the flow or canoeing upstream. I've had to do that. Last fall we went um, down the Grand River um, in kayaks and the one that I was in, I found every rock. The water was low. I found almost every main rock that I could and finally ended up on top of one. And Wanda is downstream, and she's, um, well, she's laughing um, at my expense. And I had, to, I had to paddle upstream to get off the rock so I could go around the rock. What about choosing to be contrarian about an issue? Stating your case even in light of the fact that other people disagree with you. Or going against popular opinion. Or getting involved in someone else's story when most people wouldn't touch it. Going and getting involved in someone else's story. Going against the flow to me has the greatest impact when its goal is to recognize that people matter to God. People. I know you love your pets, you love all kinds of different things, but it's people that matter to God. Culture says that some people are better than others. Culture says that some people are more important than others and even more valuable than others. And we see it in how society views or, or treats certain groups of people. Like the homeless, the marginalized, those on the fringes that we're not sure how to handle, so we ignore them. Even when they live next door to us, or even when they come to our church, it's just easier to stick with what we're used to. Jesus, on the other hand, teaches and models that it is not just some people who matter in his eyes, but that all people matter to God. Regardless of our opinion, regardless of what we think it should be like. Jesus inspires us to go against the flow, to reach out and enter the world of those most avoided or the most labeled. Why? Because people matter to him. The first and only being created in God's image, the human being, is what God values most and it's right across the board, everything you could imagine about a person, God still says those people are valuable. We matter most to God over every other living thing he ever created, no matter how precious we think other things are. And this truth should shape and inform how we view people. And the problem is, we wrestle with something like this because when we discover or attempt to try to get into people's worlds, we realize that it's messy. And the thing that I've discovered over the years that continues to prove true is that God works in the context of messy. Messy never gets in the way of what God wants to do. Messy actually becomes the base of what God can do in people's lives. We need to go against the flow, certainly, of racism and judging... We need to go against the flow of stereotyping, of putting people into categories and boxes that we think we can manage, and even of seeing people as us and them. I heard somebody say that this last week, those people. Hope you aren't one of those people, because it makes it very difficult when we talk about us and them to in any way try to connect and have a meaningful relationship. 
Now, we're naturally drawn to people who are like us. Sometimes that's scary, too. People we relate to, people we can identify with, people that just, we just feel natural together. And one of the reasons we do this is because we are known to each other, and therefore it gives us this sense of safety in being together. The problem is it's hard for other people to fit in. There's no entry point because we've kind of sealed it off because we, well, there's four of us, and that's all we want. And that happens sometimes in small groups. And it becomes a caustic place because it's all about us rather than what God might want to do in a bigger picture through us. In the church, we go against the flow when we get unstuck from the past. We go against the flow when we leave a black and white and legalistic world and enter God's world of color, creativity, and freedom. And we go against the flow when we remove the handcuffs of our own traditions. Um, I have a very dear pastor friend of mine. He's retired now, which bothers me too. Um, And I remember when he was key in planting a new church. And uh, one of his goals was not to have traditions that would, you know, just mess with freedom and all those kinds of things. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, but the problem is, as soon as you have your first service you've begun to start a tradition. And he's, he's like, oh, I never thought of that. Sometimes our traditions prevent us from moving forward. But regardless of origin, color, race, ability, condition, position, disposition, whatever you want to use, all people and all kinds of people, including people not like us, matter to God. All of them. And because they matter to God, they are also to matter to us. I've had many times over the years, especially as an introvert, where I just choose, I am not going near this one. (laughs) That one's so different than me. I am, you know, all that kind of stuff. And this is the lesson of our story this morning. In this passage that I read and in the next, Jesus' teaching is set on the context of of a meal at the home of a prominent Pharisee. I'd call it the ultimate potluck. Mind you, a Sabbath meal has nothing to do with a potluck, but that's my choice. So there's two themes in this text this morning. The one theme is criticism of the Pharisees for their pride and their hypocrisy, which was so blatantly obvious. The second was the affirmation of God's love for the lowly and the outcast. And the piece about the lowly and the outcasts overshines by far the Pharisees and their issues of legalism and everything surrounding it. You see, Jesus was a party crasher of sorts. He was a disruptor in a good way and for good reasons. There was always a purpose to his uh, to the things that he did that we would call or I would call his divine interruptions. I want to make four observations this morning about going with the flow. The first one is this. Going against the flow attracts critics and skeptics. Because anytime you want to step off the beaten trail, somebody's going to say something. Why are you doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. Stop doing that. And they got a whole other load of that stuff that they want to give to you. 
On one Sabbath day, verse 1 says, Jesus went to dinner in the home of the leader of the Pharisees and he was being closely watched. Closely watched. Do you like being watched when you eat? Do you? <laughs> I don't. I don't like being watched. Uh, in one, one of the places I really don't like being watched is when I'm trying to type something and somebody comes and looks over my shoulder. I immediately make more mistakes than I've ever made in the last couple of weeks. Usually I ask them, can, can you leave? <laughs> I say it in a more polite way, but I can't be productive when somebody's looking over my shoulder counting how many mistakes I make. On the Sabbath, there were typically three main meals. The Sabbath meal, which was prepared the day before and kept warm, was around noontime after the synagogue service. And it was common to invite guests to the Sabbath meal. Understand that there were people, as we already heard, that were watching him closely literally means to stand by the side and watch. Jesus is being watched. They're waiting for an occasion to complain. They're waiting for some reason to say something. Another com commentator said, evidently the Pharisee has less than honorable motives for inviting him to a meal because the word means to observe especially with sinister intent. They're not just casually looking at this. They want to see action taken against him if they could find it. Observation. Actually, I got a, an illustration about that that I think is important. It just makes sense to me, this standing by and watching. A number of years ago, I had a funeral of a, a total stranger. Um, the only connection with the stranger was that uh, uh, my wife had a friend who knew somebody about this lawyer who needed someone to do his service. So in that long, weird, complicated place, I head to Toronto, and I go to this funeral home, and I get up to do my thing, and I'm standing looking, and in this one section, there was about, um, I, I guesstimate about 16 lawyers. That's the only people that are in the building were lawyers, Two rows. They're taking up two rows, and they're all sitting there like this. And I, and I get up in front of them, and it's like, oh, no. And what I'm hearing, seeing from their body language is, I dare you to prove it. <laughs> they're watching. They're watching. But then... I got a little slice of reality when we were all walking through the parking lot. Well, I wasn't walking with the lawyers. But the lawyers are all walking through the parking lot telling lawyer jokes. They're a unique bunch. <laughs> they watched him closely. Observation number two. Going against the flow enables us to see those in need. I think because we're paying attention. I think because we're not oblivious to suffering. We're not oblivious to stuff that people go through. We were, uh, one of the fun things that Juan insisted that we do was to go to Hershey. Um, of course, Hershey's famous for chocolate. And I thought, well, I'm not going to argue about that. Um, so we went on a tour and we got some free samples and all that kind of stuff. And while we were eating our ice cream that was made in right there, um, this lady dropped her cane. And when something happens around you, you only have a few seconds to decide what you're going to do about it. Only a few seconds. 
to miss an opportunity. And immediately, she is very, and she's a, I would say, a, a pretty fragile lady by my estimation. She was just trying somehow to reach down like this. And in those couple of seconds, I quick got out of my seat and went over and picked it up and handed it to her. And she was so grateful. And I can never do that again. I had one chance just to be kind. And I don't know what it meant, but she was very appreciative that I did that. But I was paying attention. I, part of me wanted to go as an introvert again, go like this and look the other way. But that wouldn't have worked because I knew I would have been doing something I shouldn't have been. So going against the flow enabled us to see those needs. There in front of Jesus was a man suffering from dropsy. Note this. Jesus was always sensitive to suffering. Always. It was in his stories, in his best stories. It was in some of his parables. You could see this was so important to Jesus. Jesus was drawn to this man because his health and his life mattered to God. Mattered to Jesus. It was important to him. It's the same way that Jesus looks at you. And you think all kinds of things about yourself that are dep- dep- they're, they're not very positive at all. But God sees the real you and he knows how he made you and what you're for and all those kinds of things, your purpose, the meaning, what life is to be like for you. And sometimes we have to realize that God looks at us in a beautiful way. So this man had dropsy, which is an excessive accumulation of fluid in spaces of the body cavity, causing excessive swelling and all kinds of, I'm sure, pain. And Jesus sees this. And in fact, probably everybody noticed this because it would have been so evident to them in the crowd. It's not clear whether the man was an invited guest. It wasn't clear whether he was planted by the Pharisees to provoke Jesus to heal. Or whether he was an uninvited guest who just came to find Jesus, which has happened a number of times to Jesus. Observation number three, going against the flow threatens status quo. One of my challenges as an interim pastor when I have an interim assignment is that most of what I do is challenging the status quo. Trying to get to the root of what is happening underneath in a church that prevents it from moving forward. Trying to bring it back to a healthy place, healthy enough that they can hire a new lead pastor that can flourish in ministry. And it's daunting sometimes. It's challenging all the time. But in the midst of all of the challenge and all of that kind of stuff is this reality that God is working in the mix. He's working even when we think it's falling apart. He's working even when we haven't got a clue what to do. He does. But it threatens the status quo when we try to make waves, even unintentionally. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, I think he's poking now. I don't think he's trying to intentionally drive them crazy. Um, But he's good with these religious leaders and putting them in their place. He asks, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? This was a yes or no question. Yes or no. Is it permitted in the law? 
So Luke shows Christ healing on the Sabbath more frequently than any of the other Gospels. And it's like he favored the Sabbath as a day of doing acts of mercy, which is a beautiful thing. But in that Jewish in that Jewish society, no medical treatment was to be offered on the Sabbath unless someone's life was in jeopardy. And I, it seems to me that this man really wasn't ready to die because of his illness, but it was something that Jesus wanted to rectify. The question is, is healing on the Sabbath lawful? Is it permitted? Is it allowed? Jesus has repeatedly defended Sabbath healings. His arguments considerably and consistently silenced his naysayers. So here he questions the scribes about the legality of the Sabbath, even before he heals the person. And still they don't have any justified reason for him to not do this on the Sabbath. And so what do they do? They remain quiet. They don't say a word. Imagine going to your local hospital on a Sunday and have a doctor say to you, we can't look at you today because it's Sunday. Wouldn't that be ludicrous? Just because it's this day. Jesus' approach was so much different. He was just this sense that I see a man who needs help. This is the day I'm going to do it. If it was your brother, your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, and, and that was the person in front of Jesus, would you object? The Pharisees almost had to because of the way they thought. It, the issue was this. What was the worth of of a human being. In your eyes, what is the worth of a human being? Watch the news just for a couple of nights and you'll see um, countless instances of people who have absolutely no reason to see other people even be alive because of what they do. The wars, the fighting, um, the shootings, just a lack of respect for humanity. Jesus insisted, John Ortberg writes this, Jesus insisted that the whole law pointed toward love, and love meant seeing the value and worth that God had placed in human life. He says Jesus talked about the value of humans quite a lot. He said that a person is more valuable than sheep, more valuable than birds. He asked this question, are, are not sparrows sold two for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of, all, uh, hairs of your head are all numbered. Jesus notices the details of your life and mine. I find it kind of humorous that God counts hairs. Um, for some of us, it's easy, we're easier on God than others. Um, but that's just the way it is. But Jesus knows everything about your life. He knows when you're not well. He knows why you're not well. He understands the whole picture. And we have to try to grasp the fact that God understands, he knows, and cares, and loves us in spite of all the stuff that we're going through, which he allows because he's in control. And he wants to demonstrate his love for us and know that we're trusting him. Again, John Ortberg says the person that Jesus is pointing to, the man with dropsy, is God's child. 
It's God's child, and God's people matter to God more than anything else, he says. Jesus is, is in effect saying, does anybody have the mental or moral clarity and spiritual courage to, keep up, to speak up on behalf of God's disabled child, this man with dropsy, and nobody does? Nobody. And then there's another awkward silence. And this makes Jesus angry. In the face of deliberately ignoring suffering, Ortberg says, he is not a highly sensitive, compassionate person. He is a slightly irritated, compassionate person. The Jewish leaders thought that they were going to watch Jesus. It turned out that Jesus was watching them. They thought that they were going to judge Jesus. It turned out that God was judging them, that Jesus was judging them. Observation number four. Going against the flow needs no permission, just courage. I think a lot of stuff remains undone in life because we think we need the permission to do everything. As a pastor, I love giving people in the church permission to not do stuff. <laughs> because people try to do things and it doesn't work, so they feel bad about it and they don't want to let people down, so they just slowly disappear back off. And I love connecting with them and, and giving them permission to give themselves permission to not have to do that anymore if it's not their gift. I've seen board members that were on boards um, experience this in, in my own church at Crossroads where one of the board members hardly came to board meetings. And so I called her up and I, I, heard her, I knew her story. And I said, would you like permission to not, to not be on the board? <laughs> She said, I love to, to not be on the board. And then she said, this is what I'd love to do instead of being on the board. And the thing that she suggested was the very thing that we had talked about the night before at the board meeting about what we really needed on the board. So she's still on the board, doing that thing that she loves, not what she thought other people would think that she would do well at. So Jesus is upset. And we need to understand that going against the flow doesn't need permission, just courage. Verse 4 of chapter 14 says, When they refused to answer, they would not answer Jesus. They're quiet. They're silent from speaking. One, one text says that perhaps because their traditions are unclear or because they realize that if they say no, Jesus will attack their lack of compassion, so they don't say anything. But in the midst of this very awkward, uncomfortable silence, what does Jesus do? Jesus does three things amid the silence. And I'm sure you could have heard the proverbial pin drop because everybody's watching what Jesus is going to do next. The first thing he does is he touches the sick man. And of course, a Jew never touches somebody that's sick because it makes you unclean. And there's protocols that you can't do certain things now until a period of time until you're clean again. But Jesus doesn't worry about protocols. He goes around protocols. He doesn't need permission. Not because he's God, but because on principle he doesn't need to. We don't need permission sometimes to do certain things. Sometimes we do because of respect, but mostly we need courage to do what we're supposed to be doing. So he touches him. It literally means he he to take hold of in order to give assistance in time of need. I see Jesus in my mind laying his hands on this man's shoulders or something. Second thing he does is he healed him. 
The word literally means to cure, to restore to bodily health. The fluids are gone. What was crippling him, bothering him, was finished. He was healed. Nobody had an answer for it. Nobody could say anything about it. But they knew that it happened right in front of their eyes, including the Pharisees, who are so against doing such a thing that would bring somebody freedom. And then the third thing that Jesus did was sent him away. It can mean to unbind, which could apply to the disease or sickness, to be relieved from that. But simply it means to let go free and to send away. I imagine Jesus said, go home. Because maybe because of his condition, he couldn't go to very many places. But he, he, he just set him free. You can go now. So for the rest of the piece that we're looking at, he's not there anymore. He's talking just to the people who are remaining. So after he sends them away, verse 5 says, he turned to them, that is the religious leaders, and I think with a bit of, because he's, he's not really happy, he's peeved, he turns to them and asks, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or ox falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? The, the answer would be, of course we do. It was, it was accepted to do that. But they had limits. They had rules, a lot of rules. Common humanitarian, not to mention economic necessity, taught them that it was right to show mercies to animals on the, on the Sabbath because it, you know, it was their livelihood. Should not the same principles be applied in showing mercy to a suffering person? Someone who needs help? Even if it's as simple as picking up a cane for an elderly lady who has difficulty getting down to do that herself. There they are. A source says that it is written in the rules. That would be the Pharisaic stuff about Sabbath. Human beings may be rescued on the Sabbath. Listen to the insanity here. Human beings may be rescued on the Sabbath, but one must not use a ladder, a rope, or another implement to save them. Hello! <laughs> Try harder! I can't give you a rope, but <laughs> my arm's not that long. Think of it. How insane. We can pull an ox out, but we can't get our son if your son was, we've seen the stories on TV over the year, years with people um, who, young kids even, who've fallen in pits, down drains, whatever. It's just heart-wrenching. And you know that the parents that are probably an annoyance in, in the way would do anything to have their child in front of them again, standing healthy. But we have rules I think that if they had answered Jesus' questions because they didn't make a reply, probably because they didn't have the courage or the ability or their insight to answer Jesus, that if they had answered, that they would have indicted themselves. If they answered, they would have incriminated themselves. If they answered, they would have made a fool of themselves. 
because they had no real answer other than the fact of what they saw Jesus do and they just didn't like it. But Jesus didn't need permission, just the courage to do what he needed to do. So once again, they could not answer. The healed man again is gone. He sent him home. But Jesus chose to go against the flow. Sometimes we have to go against the flow. You might, God might be asking you to do something and, and you want to do it. And someone says to you, yeah, but you could get hurt. Or you could lose the money or whatever it could be. And immediately they're, they're being this downer on you. Rather than to encourage you to do what they believe, you believe God's asking you to do. I want to read one scripture, it'll be on the screen, that's very significant to me and especially related to this theme about um, being able to speak into the lives of people and to, to have the freedom to go against the flow to be a blessing to others. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that is in the presence of God, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, which is both meant toward us, that we can find the help that we need, but also that we are able to bring help to other people in need. It's both and it's and. I want to end by just asking you some questions. I'm not sure if notes got printed today or not, um, but hypothetically, they did. And I'm going to ask some questions just for you to ponder. And if you want me to send you these questions, I'd be glad to do that. Just tap me on the shoulder and give me your email address. How strongly do you believe, this is probably one of the most important ones, how much do you believe in your head and feel in your heart because you need both that all people matter to God your answer to that question will determine how effective you are in being a blessing to other people how sensitive are you to the sufferings of others are you blind to the stuff that's going on around you sometimes we need to be because we can't handle that all the time when God pokes you do you trust him to give you the courage to go against the flow? Because there's always going to be somebody that has questions. There's always going to be somebody that thinks they have a better way of doing it than God. <laughs> and they want you to know. Is there something that God has asked you to do that to date you have not acted on related to doing something for someone else in need? What is more important to you? The security of the status quo or the risk of change? Are you living your life based on other expectations for you? Everywhere I go as an interim pastor, I at some point early on say, you know what? Um, I do not care what people think, especially about me. And I say that everywhere. And I unpack that and I explain that. What I mean is, I refuse to live by other people's expectations of how I should live. I, have, I know all kinds of people that aren't pastors that want to give me advice on how to be a better pastor. They just have the idea of the best way to do the things that I need to do. 
Are you living based on other people's expectation for you or for God's? What will it take for you to step in or step up to help someone in need? Because it's going to cost you something. Not necessarily financially, but probably time, physical, emotional energy. If you really want to care about somebody, to care about them, um, it will bring something out of you. There's a draining piece to that. But it's beautiful, and it's really rewarding. Finally, are you willing to get your hands dirty like Jesus, touching the lives of other people? The parable of the Good Samaritan comes to my mind. He set all kinds of rituals and everything else aside when he found this guy, this Samaritan, in a ditch, almost dead. Uses parts of his clothes to bandage him up. He gave him all kinds of stuff to care for the needs that he had. Took him to the inn and told the innkeeper, here's some money, and if, if it takes more money, I'll pay that when I come back. It cost him something, but it meant life to this Samaritan, his, his enemy, biblically. I pray that this um, month, as we talk about going against the flow, that you would give yourself more permission to be who you are, especially as you relate to other people. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way that you interpret your word into our hearts and minds. And I just pray for everyone at New Life here and at home, Father, that when we look to you, may we look in a way that we can learn how to see like you. And may we have eyes to see people around us that need a compassionate touch, an encouraging word, maybe a hug, maybe just someone to sit with them quietly to care. Use us, God, for your glory as we have the courage to make decisions that will lead to a blessing on other people's lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.